Welcome to the Radio Bible Course and our study, a new study, of the book of Hebrews. In yesterday's program, we introduced the book. We talked about the possible authors and the date of writing, and we concluded that in all probability, this book was written before the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. because there is no reference to that great event. There is a hint in chapter 2 of the book of Hebrews concerning the author, and I want to read the first three verses. It reads, Therefore we must pay the closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For if the message declared by angels was valid, and every transgression of disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard him. The question we need to ask is, who were those who heard our Lord? Well, there were many people, but the people themselves were not the important ones, the apostles. Those close to Jesus were those who did the preaching and who in turn took what they heard and taught it to others. So this is a reference to the apostles. But the writer says it was declared at first by the Lord and was attested to us by those who heard him. This is a strong indication that the writer of this book was not an apostle, but he heard it from the apostles. Some people have gone to chapter 13 of the book of Hebrews and said, this sounds very much like Paul. I'm referring to verse 22. It's the closing paragraph of this epistle. It reads, I appeal to you, brethren, here with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should understand that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints, those who come from Italy, send your greetings. Grace be with all of you. Amen. Now here is a reference to Timothy. And some people say Paul and Timothy were very close, and this would indicate that perhaps Paul is the writer of the book of Hebrews. But Paul never refers to Timothy as a brother in his epistles. It's always as my son in the faith, Timothy, or words similar to that. Now, Clement of Alexandria, who lived from 150 to 215 A.D., wrote in favor of Paul's authorship, saying his name was omitted because of the Jews' suspicion of him. That doesn't seem to fit the character of Paul, because Paul would not have feared putting his name on his epistle, which he always does. And that is a mark of Paul. Although no one can be sure about the author... It has been suggested that whoever he was, he did not want himself to be known. Why not? First of all, this book is about Jesus alone, and it exalts him above everyone and everything. There was a problem in the church, and the problem was that people were thinking too highly of their Old Testament system, the sacrificial system, the priesthood, the temple, and their holy days, and therefore the writer, with a great burden to make Jesus more important than anything else, so important that they would forget all about Judaism, doesn't even want to identify himself, and he's consistent in this, in that although he quotes from many Old Testament prophets, 
he doesn't give their name, as though they might rob Jesus Christ of some glory. Now, there's only one exception in this long epistle, and that's in chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, where the writer says, Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news fail to enter because of disobedience, again he sets a certain day, today, saying, through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, when you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So here he quotes from David, and that's the only quote for which he gives a reference. I like this suggestion, that the writer wanted to be deliberately anonymous. He wanted to exalt Christ. He does make reference to the Holy Spirit speaking and to God speaking, but none of the prophets except David and only one time. And perhaps the author got the message from John the Baptist who said, He must increase, but I must decrease. At least this sounds like a reasonable explanation. Now, from the content of this epistle, we conclude that wherever these Jewish believers lived to whom this was written, they were in danger of drifting. They were very much like the Galatians, who, having heard the grace of God, were then easily persuaded to go back to Judaism. Apparently, the Hebrews had that problem also, and perhaps because there were many priests among the Hebrews, they had a stronger pull back to Judaism. Now, we can surmise from the arguments expressed in the book about how Jesus is better than Moses, better than the angels, better than Joshua and the priests of old, that the only people really concerned about such things are Jews, and that Hebrews is primarily directed to Jews who have believed in Jesus Christ. But, as is true of all churches even today, there is what we refer to as the wheat and also the tares. There were unbelievers, those not convinced of the truth about Jesus, as well as those who were only intellectually convinced, and they appear to be on the mind of the author. We'll see a number of warnings in chapters 2, 6, and 10 especially, that there were some people among those Hebrews who had not yet taken the step of faith. Or, they may have been people who were very strongly influenced to go back to Judaism. I like to think of the book of Hebrews as a book rather than as an epistle, because in comparison with other epistles in the New Testament, it is hardly an epistle in the strict sense of that word. It instead is a sermon, or, as the writer states in chapter 13, verse 22, an exhortation. He writes, I appeal to you, brethren, bear with my word of exhortation. So Hebrews is a written exhortation, just as Paul's was a spoken one when he visited Antioch of Pisidia on his first journey in Acts chapter 13. So the author writes in many respects as Paul spoke when he visited the synagogues and, of course, they were addressing the same people.
They were Jews. Hebrews is a book about Jesus, how great he is and what he accomplished for mankind. It is a book that builds faith. It gives assurance and it results in encouragement as it points out how much better Jesus is than the great men of the Old Testament and even angels and even the high priest of Judaism, all of whom were revered by the Jews. In every comparison, Jesus is better. And that's a word that is found 13 times in this book. If anyone wants to insist that Jesus was only a man who became a great teacher and a religious leader, I believe that that person will be made uncomfortable by his position as he studies the book of Hebrews. Now, as we proceed in our study, I intend to repeatedly make the point that we have a high priest seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, and he ministers there on behalf of all who believe in the true tabernacle made by God in heaven. Now, I'm using some language right from the book of Hebrews. Don't be alarmed about it. You'll be soon acquainted with it. Jesus is a priest in heaven because he did what no other priest could ever do. He is the perfect priest. He offered one sacrifice for all time, for all sins, for all men, and it never need be repeated. He offered that sacrifice by offering up himself. He was the sacrifice, but God raised him from the dead. And he is now seated at the right hand of the Father in the prominent place, the honored place, where he rules and waits until his enemies be made his footstool. And then he'll return to earth to rule as God had foretold by the prophet. His priesthood gets special emphasis in this book of Hebrews, and this is the only New Testament document that calls him a priest. Other epistles only imply it. John Calvin wrote about the book of Hebrews, saying, There is indeed no book in Holy Scripture which speaks so clearly of the priesthood of Christ, which so highly exalts the virtue and dignity of that only true sacrifice which he offered by his death, which so abundantly deals with the use of ceremonies as well as their abrogation, and in a word, so fully explains that Christ is the end of the law. Well, that's another theme we're going to encounter as we go through the book of Hebrews because there is an emphasis on the fact that Christ becoming a mediator of the New Testament of necessity has ended or terminated the Old Covenant. What Kelvin said about the end of the law will become convincingly clear when we examine chapters 7 through 10, and that teaching will enlarge our understanding of the nature of our faith as a new and better way, completely independent of the covenant that preceded it. We who are Gentiles by birth have no relationship to the law of the Old Testament, but the author obviously writes to Jews who did have such a relationship. Even to them, however, to Jewish men and women who have found salvation in Jesus the Messiah, 
the author stresses the abolishment of the old covenant and the establishment of a new and better covenant between God and men. We'll be getting into that point much later. Now, someone has suggested that the book of Hebrews is based perhaps on the extended teaching of Jesus in Luke 24. That's where he discussed the Old Testament scriptures to the men on the road to Emmaus and explained that it was necessary for Christ to suffer and die. Could that teaching in Luke 24, beginning with verse 18, be the basis for the teachings here in Hebrews? Were those the same teachings that Jesus gave them? Well, I wish we knew, but we can't be sure. In tomorrow's program, we're going to talk about the need for a revelation, because that's what we come to in the very first verses of this book. It says, in many and various ways... God spoke of old to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by a son. Has he spoken? He has. Did God need to speak? We are going to answer that question and discuss that point for the need for a revelation in our program tomorrow. I hope you'll join me here. These teachings on the book of Hebrews are also recorded on cassette tapes, and they'll be available for your purchase. You can get information about our teaching tapes by writing to the Radio Bible Course. We invite your questions and comments about this broadcast. Until tomorrow, this is Nick Calavota reminding you that the word gospel means good news. Our address, our address is Radio Bible Courses, Post Office Box 14916, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, 70898. The website is rbcword.org.